change to the billing today because uh, last Lord's Day, uh, when Steve spoke at uh, the SMS, he took Luke 5 and the story of the Lord raising up the paralytic dropped through the roof. And Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 this morning would have been the same uh, passage. So I've decided instead to take another topic, uh, which has been on my heart, and it's been on my heart since uh, before last weekend when I was over in Northern Ireland, and really to title it, The Power of God's Praying People. And I'd like us to start with a reading in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, as we consider the power of God's praying people. It does link in with what we've already discovered in our work through of Mark. Mark 1 verse 35 speaks of the Lord getting up early in the morning while it was still dark and going out to pray. Uh, We'll see through our studies of the Gospels that there are a number of occasions when the Lord goes out the mountainside at night to pray or in the morning or goes to a desolate wilderness place to pray. He gets himself away uh, to pray. So of course it does link in and he is our model in the matter of prayer. But look at James chapter 5 and verse 16. And halfway through verse 16, it says this, the effect of prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, And the sky gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah, whose name means, my God is Yahweh. Eli, my God, we know it from Eli, Eli, Lemma, Selachthani. My God is Yahweh, Yah, Elijah. We know him from 1 Kings chapter 17 onwards. He just appears as the prophet of God, who goes and says to King Ahab of the northern kingdom named Israel, And says it's not going to rain until uh, I say so. And what James tells us here is that Elijah prayed for that. It doesn't say it in the narrative account in 1 Kings. But it tells us here that Elijah prayed for it. Probably knowing that the Lord had pronounced that there would be curses on his people. That would come for their disobedience. And one element of the curse would be the sky becoming like bronze. And the rain becoming like dust. And Elijah was a man who was sensitive in his time to the waywardness and unfaithfulness of the people of God under King Ahab. And he must have prayed that God would show himself that he might turn the hearts of people. And he prayed, it says here, that it would not rain. The effect of prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What is remarkable is what James says here that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, which means he was human like you and me. That's who he was. But here's a man called by God into particular service, which we have all been called into. Paul says in Titus that he saved us with a holy calling. He saved us and has called us with a holy calling. We've been called into service for God. And we've been called to pray. And our prayers are effective, not because of what and how we pray, but because of the one to whom we pray, which is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. So Elijah was a man like us. We need to hold on to that. 
And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain. Elijah's life, as we have little glimpses of it in 1 Kings, show us that he's a man of prayer. James here tells us that he was praying about the matter of there being no rain. The Lord then provides for him at the brook Cherith, but then sends him north up to almost Phoenicia uh, to stay with the widow of Zarephath. And her son dies. And it says that Elijah goes into the room and it says that he cried out, O Yahweh, restore the boy's life. And the Lord heard him and answered him, it says in the text. Here was a man who prayed for something that had not happened before on this earth. It's the first time we read in the scriptures of somebody being raised to life. It's 1 Kings 17, when Elijah prays for the restoration of the young boy's life. For those of us that know the story, Elijah goes then and after three and a half years confronts Ahab again. And he says, let's have a contest to decide whether Baal or the Ashtoreth or Yahweh is God. And gather all the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth and let's get them to Mount Carmel. And the Lord is the one who answers by fire. Elijah prays to heaven. And the Lord answers by fire to consume the offering on the altar that Elijah has rebuilt in front of all the people who were so wayward. And the prophets of Baal had been dancing around the altar all day and crying out to their so-called God and there was no answer. It's a little bit, uh, I think, sarcastic in the text. It says there was no one there, no one heard, no one answered. Because there was no one. But when Elijah prayed, fire came down. But that wasn't the end of it. And interestingly, James doesn't tell us about that Mount Carmel experience. His focus is on Elijah praying for no rain and then rain. And when you're in 1 Kings, you'll tr track with Elijah who says to Ahab, you need to get yourself down off this mountain because I hear the sound of rain that's coming. But what Elijah does is he goes up to the top of Carmel with his servant. And it says he stretches himself on the ground with his knees, his head between his knees. And he pleads with God in prayer. And he doesn't give up. Seven times he sends his servant. He trusts my God is Yahweh. He trusts in him. He's known that he's the God who answers prayer. And he trusts in him. And he prays and he prays that there's going to be this rain that he's spoken about to Ahab. And he sends his servant seven times until there's a cloud in the distance over the Mediterranean the size of a man's hand. He prays until that is seen. And then he gets up and in the power of God he runs ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. And there's a mighty deluge. Here's a man called by God into particular service. And his service is characterised by prayer. I want us to go to 1 Kings 19 now. Because those are the, usually the well-known parts of Elijah's story. But I just want to pick up something here. Elijah goes from that summit experience, if you might call it that, to a very low place when he runs to Beersheba. Jezebel has said, I'm going to have your life. The people haven't turned to Yahweh despite their cries 
Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God on Mount Carmel. Despite that, they're so fickle. When Jezebel stands up, Ahab's wife, and threatens his life, and she's already wiped out so many of the Lord's prophets, he runs for his life to the low place in Beersheba. The Lord raises him up and sends him in the strength of the food he provides 40 days to Horeb, Mount Sinai, the place where God appears in fire. And there he meets with God. And God sends him with a commission. And I want to pick up this commission here. And uh, we're looking at uh, verse 19 of 1 Kings 19. It says, so he, that's Elijah, went from there. And he did one of three things that the Lord had said he was to do. And this is the one thing. He says, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. So he forsook the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him, took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh and the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. The Lord had brought Elijah to the summit experience of Carmel. Elijah had come down in his experience to the place of Beersheba and then on to Mount Sinai. And the Lord lifts him up again and says, look, I'm not finished yet. And somebody else is going to pick up the work after you're gone. It's Elisha here. And it seems as though uh, Elijah has travelled 350 miles from Sinai back up to the northern reaches of uh, Israel and as he walks past, Elisha, who's out plowing with two oxen from a wealthy family, because there were another 11 pairs, uh, probably administered by farmhands and so on, he comes and he throws his mantle, his hairy cloak over him. Elisha knows full well what that means. It's a call to service. It's a call to follow. But Elisha says, let me just go and deal with this. And he goes and he burns that which had characterized his life to that point. And he gets up and it says he followed Elijah and he ministered to him. Here's God's succession planning in action. God has always had people who will pray because when God's people pray, there is power in that. I want us to now turn to 2 Kings chapter 2, please. 2 Kings chapter 2, and this is the, the final transition you can date this um, yourselves, a little bit of study, but it seems that Elisha, who's described as being the servant who washed Elijah's hands, and as we've read, who ministered to him, who acted as a servant for Elijah, this great man of faith and prayer, this great man of God. He served him in a sort of an apprentice role for at least 16 years before Elijah is taken, as we're going to read here in first uh, kings chapter two let's start from verse one now it happened when yahweh was about to take elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that elijah went out with elisha from gilgal and elijah said to elisha stay here please for yahweh has sent me as far as bethel but elisha said as yahweh lives and as your soul lives i will not forsake you so they went down to bethel and the sons of the prophets who were at bethel came out to elisha and said to him, do you know that Yahweh will take away your master from over you today or over your head today? And he said, yes, I know. Be silent. 
And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for Yahweh has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, I will not forsake you. So they came to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that Yahweh will take your master from over your head today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for Yahweh has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, I will not forsake you. So the two of them went on. Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, but the two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, that hairy cloak, and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there, so that the two of them crossed over in dry ground. Now it happened when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken up from you. And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and it separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elisha was seeing this, and he was crying out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? Indeed, he himself also struck the waters and they were divided here and there. And Elisha crossed over. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him and said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him. And bowed themselves to the ground before him. It's one of those really exciting uh, passages of scripture, isn't it? But here you have the handover after at least 16 years of Elisha, whose name means Eli, my God, Shah, uh, associated with Yasha, Joshua, Yehoshua, um, which means saves, uh, Jesus uh, in the Greek. Um, my God saves. So you've got my God is Yahweh and Elijah. You've got my God saves and Elisha. He's, he's this servant who washes in the lowest place. He's a servant to Elijah for at least 16 years. And he's learning from this man of faith and prayer. The man of God. You know what? When you read on in the account in 2 Kings onwards from here. Elisha is referred to 30 times as a man of God. More than the times that it's referenced with Elijah. Here's someone who has learned from his master and goes on. He's asked for the double portion. He isn't asking for greater than Elijah. He's asking to make up his lacking spirit. He wants the courage of Elijah to rest on him when he goes. And he continues on with the same courage and conviction and faith as his master Elijah. Elisha does as he goes on. But these years of apprenticeship have resulted in a man who will not give up. Notice, and it's no accident, is it, that you have here three times that Elijah tests the commitment faith of his servant, Elisha. Think about Peter and the Lord's three times testing his commitment after the resurrection. Here you have three times. Elisha's not, not for giving up. He recognizes and remembers back almost two decades 
when Elijah's hairy mantle, his hairy cloak had been thrown over him. And there was something in God's purposes that he was going to have to pick up when Elijah was gone. And he goes with them and he follows them to Bethel and he follows them to Jericho. They go across the Jordan. And then there's this remarkable experience when the chariot of fire and the horses of fire appear. And Elijah is taken up to heaven in the whirlwind. Notice it says he's taken up in the whirlwind, not the chariot. That's a little thing. But he's taken up. But I want you to notice what Elisha says. My father, my father. What verse is it? Verse 12. Thank you. My father, my father. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. As Elijah, my God, is Yahweh. It's taken from Elisha, my God saves. He cries out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. You know, you read that phrase again, and it's in 2 Kings 13. And it's King Joash, who comes to Elisha, who it tells us is sick with the illness with which he was to die. And there were no chariots of fire in that account. Go and read it for yourselves later. And when Joash the king comes in, and he sees Elisha on his deathbed, he cries out the same thing. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. So Elisha here in chapter 2 mustn't have been referring to the chariots of fire. What was he referring to? I think he was recognising that the man who had just been taken up into heaven out of his sight. There was the true power on this earth that had just been taken. Here was the power of God greater than any military force that Israel could muster or any of the nations. And today is a day of remembrance for the many wars that there have been where immense military forces have come together and there's been such sacrifice. And we look today in a world where it's wrecked with the same thing. And I believe what we're being told here when Elisha recognized and saw Elijah being taken, he realized that the true power of God on earth had gone in that moment. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. The man with the power. It wasn't his power. It was the man who had the relationship with God, who was a man who trusted God. My God is Yahweh, the man who prayed to God. And Elisha then steps in to fulfill the role from then on. We read more about Elisha's ministry than we do about Elijah's. Maybe that has something to do with the double portion and just in the way that it's been pulled together in Second Kings for us, it's to show us that there's a continuity. And here Elisha continues, and he's a man who prays like Elijah. And he's described as a man of God. And you come into the New Testament and you read Paul and his encouragement to Timothy. You, O man of God, do this. You, O man of God, flee from that. You, O man of God, do this. And one of his major encouragements to Timothy is, you be a praying man. And you encourage everybody else to be a praying man too. Put it to you. That what Elijah was, was the power of prayer on this earth. Tapping into the sovereign power of God that was greater than any military. Elisha recognized that he was gone. 
When Joash the king comes in 2 Kings 13 and he says the same thing, he recognises that when Elisha is about to go, suddenly the power is going too because the man of prayer is going. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and the Lord is with his disciples in the upper room. We're going to look at a text that has been sadly twisted and taken out of all shape and meaning by many so-called confessing Christians. The Lord is speaking in the night of his betrayal as Paul describes it. In verse 11, the Lord appeals to his apostles. Believe me that I am in the Father and and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, here's the verse. I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments notice that we don't stop at the end of verse 12 we must continue into the Lord's next phrase in verse 13 whatever you ask in my name much has been made of the greater works that the disciples were to do that we have miraculous capacities today to do greater things than Jesus we cannot tolerate such teaching what the Lord is saying uh, you'll do greater things You'll do it in greater number, yes, but that's not the sense of the word greater. The word there means you'll be involved in something that is great on this earth. And in the multiplicity of you, disciples, it's going to be a great thing for God. And it's going to be the power of God's praying people because he says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. When we ask in the name of the Lord in prayer, of course, we're submitting ourselves to the will of God. We're recognising that we're going to ask for the things that God desires to be done on this earth. Here's the power of God's praying people. We've very quickly looked at the example of Elijah and then Elisha coming in and taking up the mantle, literally. And wearing that hairy cloak and stepping forward into years of service. Characterised by prayer and doing wonderful things on this earth according to God's timetable. We're called today to pray so that wonderful things might occur. To finish, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. John, a man in a hairy garment. The Lord says he was like Elijah, the one preparing the way for the Lord. John taught his disciples to pray. But the Lord, when they, sorry, the disciples, when they listen to the Lord praying, they're thinking, there's something different here. Lord, we want to learn to pray your way. And the Lord was happy to teach them and to instruct them. And that's what he calls of us too. 
He calls us, saves us and calls us with a holy calling that we might be people committed in faith to him, the God of all, and that we might then come and pray. In verse 2, And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, which of you has a friend and will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot rise up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not arise and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. But what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if his son asks also for an egg, uh, will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What an encouragement to pray and be persistent in it. To the point where it's almost awkward. Because our Father loves to give good gifts to his children. The power of God's praying people. The power of God's persistent praying people. The Lord has modelled that life for us. And we see it characterising the lives of the apostles as it's recorded for us in the New Testament. I pass it on just as a starter really. Uh, maybe for your own considerations. My Father, my Father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. The real power in this world is the power of God's praying people, greater than any military force. God loves to listen to his praying people, and as James tells us, the effect of prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Let's pray.